0: Over the course of human history, history, history. there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The
1: Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa.
2: Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. Guess who's in studio tonight with us for the Animal Welfare Hour? It's the woman of the moment, my wife Nancy, animal rescuer, and uh, as you know, we have been talking uh, for months now, a lot of this information that I bring to the airwaves about uh, where they're going to shove illegal aliens next, whose neighborhood, and obviously uh, all this information about the serial killings out in uh, Gilgo Beach and matters that deal with the Suffolk County Police Department, Nassau County Police Department, the five boroughs of the city of New York and now Atlantic City and Atlantic County come from the deep dive that uh, Nancy does as an e-attorney, getting information that it's not easy to get at times. So I want to thank you, uh, Nancy, on behalf of our many listeners here, uh, but also for Sid Rosenberg, who is amazed at the information you come up with on a daily basis and the deep dig that you do that has driven our elected officials out of their minds—Democrats, Republicans, police officials, prosecutors, DAs, county officials, state officials—they uh, all call me a liar. But in essence, you make me look good because ninety percent of the time we break news, and it's spot on.
3: That, that's um, quite quite a build-up, and thank you so much. But I, I have to give a lot of shout-out and props to the Google machine. Which, Google,
2: you mean it's that easy,
3: huh? Well, I'm just saying it's out there. So if you if you want to find it out, you can find it out.
2: You know, that is amazing because uh, before we get into the animal issues, we did that when it came to George Santos. All we did was Google. And here you had Democrats and Republicans out there, Nassau and stuff. We didn't know. We didn't know. I watched you, and in five minutes, you Googled two things. And you had most of the information about this guy being a fake, phony, fraudulent forgazing
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe he had people um, sort of um, caught up in whatever, his, uh, whatever impression he was trying to give. I mean, again, people only see what they want to see sometimes. So unless you're inclined to look, I mean, you're just going to listen to what someone's telling you, what you're hearing. And if no one else is saying it, why would you think otherwise, right? Because you're thinking, well... There's a lot of people out there who should know. How come no one else said it? Which is really the which is really the better question.
2: And you're not doing the kind of deep dive you do for clients when you have to go through volumes and volumes of data. This is all available to an average person as long as if they know how to do Google.
3: Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to connect the dots a little bit. Um, you know, some of the people are pretty good at going out of their way. Uh, you know, you have like a lot of different forms of ownership, but. You know, I mean, again, everything comes back to linking to someone's name, linking to someone's company, and yeah, that you know, it's it's easy to find a trail.
2: And just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, I've watched Nancy operate with her computer, and she checks, double checks, triple checks. It's sort of like a NASA space launch at Cape Canaveral, where before there's launch, you've checked everything to make sure that it's accurate that it's not misinformation, that it's not going to malign people. That would be a horrible thing if we were maligning innocent people. But that it's been spot-on checked, double-checked, triple-checked. And likewise, you do that with a lot of our animal welfare issues, which we'll delve into now. But again, I can't be more thankful to you because we've been able to break so much news here at WABC on all the different programs that I appear Uh, because of the deep dive that you do to get the information, to double-check it, triple-check it, and then it enables me to talk about it, because now we have documentary evidence. Let's first talk about the weather. We're going through a period of extreme weather here, and now that it's dark out, we are being heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, which is hotter than hell, uh, parts of Europe now, and right on down in Davy Jones's locker between Bermuda and Bahamas, people, if they have the app uh, in their smartphone uh, or their iPhone, they can hear this broadcast all over the world crystal clear. And if they have the stream on their laptop uh, computer or their worktop computer, again, they can hear this anywhere. So this really affects a global community when we start talking about animal welfare, as we do now every Sunday night. From 10 to 11, we've been bumped up an hour because Dominic Carter has been given an additional hour. He will be on from 11 to 1, and then the Mama Luke, Frank Morano, the other side of midnight is nationally syndicated show from 1 to 5. So let's start with, with the pets that people have indoors and with those who survive outdoors. What do they have to think about when this kind of extreme weather hits, whether it is the heat, the humidity, the flash uh, showers, and rainstorms and floods that hit—what should they be doing and thinking about?
3: Well, I mean, you know, the the main thing I would say is obviously if you can keep your pets indoors and to whatever extent you can have the air conditioner, um, you know, on a constant low temperature, you know, it's essential um, because the humidity is so high. I know that you know, you know, people put fans. Uh, fans are kind of helpful for humans, but not really so much for animals. I mean, they don't sweat the same. They don't cool down the same. So fans really are not helping them so much. Um, You know, but obviously within houses, you have certain rooms that are colder. So, you know, basements could be colder. Sometimes rooms that have tiled floors. So if you have a place where, uh, you know, it's a little more susceptible to being cool, you want to make sure that's open. Water hydration is huge. So if you're You know, if you're not going to be there during the day, you want to make sure you have lots of bowls of water. And, you know, if you're going to be gone for long hours, too, if you can do something like leaving ice cubes. So this way it kind of takes a little longer. Obviously, when you're dealing with outdoor animals, I mean, that's a much more important issue, a bigger issue. And hydration's big, so, you know, keeping out lots of sources of water. Um, You know, another thing to be mindful of, too, is, you know, with a dog and a cat, you, you want to make sure that you're grooming them. Because the, you know, the hair that they have, I mean... They're going out of the way. Obviously, you know, you have, like, the summertime now. So they have, like, their coat. They're shedding, like, their winter coat. So there's only so much they can do. But, I mean, like, for instance, Athena. I mean, we have some long-haired cats. You can imagine how quickly they heat up because there's only so much they can do. And, I mean, I'm constantly brushing her and the volume of hair that is just, you know, coming off of her. So that's another way to keep them cool.
2: So it, Athena is the matriarch of all the cats that we have in our apartment that you've rescued from the uh, from the animal care and control shelters where they would have been euthanized uh, she's a unique cat because she was a Norwe- she is a norwegian forest cat right
3: yeah and actually she was the one in um sunset park uh that we had rescued in sunset park she was um like outdoors by herself and she had a pretty severe eye infection and you know we we happened to be coming from Staten Island one night with uh with the Guardian Angels and We stopped by there, and it was drizzling and and just came upon Athena and just luckily were able to rescue her.
2: Yeah, we trapped her. We didn't let her escape. She was uh, preparing to make her escape. And then you had uh, weeks, really, of medical attention that you had to -hmm. uh, give to her in order to get her back in shape. She is our matriarch uh, of our colony, cat colony. Apollo is the patriarch who came from Animal Care and Control in East New York, that's uh, that's a really difficult one to get to. It's a dangerous neighborhood. Uh, he would have been euthanized. And naturally, we got a lot of critters. One quick question sure. about uh, the cats that we have at the annual Queens Village Republican uh, Club uh, picnic in Alley Pond Park today. Hundreds of people were there. A lot of them cat lovers. And a lot of them were asking about Whiskers, the mama cat that you rescued from uh, the shelter before she would be euthanized, who you served as a midwife uh, to and helped deliver her six kittens. A lot of people were asking, how's Whiskers and how are all of her kittens?
3: Okay, so Whiskers is is doing well. Um, you know, obviously she's not really, uh, you know, as as much required to be around the kittens, but... She's still doing a great job of, you know, cleaning them and uh, you know, taking care of them. They still, you know, go to her a little bit when they're just looking to, to relax. So the kittens are doing great. Um, yeah, obviously their personalities are are coming through and you can sort of see um, you know, the little deviations in in uh you know, uh you know, whatever their little tendencies are already. So they're coming along fine. Um, you know, thankfully, obviously, um, whiskers had to be fixed and then, you know, get all her shots and all that kind of stuff and make sure she's all good to go. So she, uh, you know, is sort of on the tail end of recovering from her own surgery. So, uh, you know, I mean, everything's going well. Everything's going well now.
2: I know it's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. The other great idea you've had that I've uh, actually uh, shared with a lot of people is we have a lot of empty storefronts in New York City in the five boroughs. Many of them right here in Manhattan on the major thoroughfares. You go down Madison Avenue, you go down Lexington Avenue. I mean, at times, it's storefront after storefront, empty. Uh, The only uh, businesses that seem to be moving into these empty uh, mom-and-pop, brick-and-mortar storefronts that have been empty uh, since the lockdown and pandemic of March in 2020 are illegal weed shops, But still, even with all of that, there are so many empty storefronts, and you came up with a great idea, if you could just flesh it out and explain it to our listeners here in the Animal Welfare Hour, of uh, showcasing dogs and cats that would normally be euthanized and slaughtered in the shelters. And it's almost like what that song says, How Much Is That Little Doggy in the Window? What is the whole concept behind this?
3: Well, I mean, again, so we have all of these uh, businesses, empty storefronts, and, you know, they're waiting for tenants to come in. obviously this has, like, created the, the whole, um, you know, growth of these illegal uh, weed shops everywhere. So now you have – I mean, besides the animals in the city shelter, which is one where they can clearly partner with, you know, there's also a lot of um, groups. There's a lot of people who foster animals. And, you know, the one thing that you're always lacking really is the ability to showcase these animals and to have them, uh, you know, available visually to the public. So to have all of these empty storefronts and yet people are still continuing to go by every day, they're going into the subways, they're going to their jobs, they're walking past these places, and, you know, what should be happening is the city should be creating um, a, some sort of an incentive, a stipend, or it could be in conjunction with the animal care and control as well for the purpose of adoption where you're saying to these places, look, you know, We want to be able to showcase these animals there this way. It's going to create the potential for more adoption. And I think you would see such a quick turnaround and such a quick effect. And and then you would, you know, again, you can create a model. I mean, they're empty. They're sitting there. These animals need to be showcased. Otherwise, they're going to be euthanizing them.
2: Yeah. And uh, think of it. How many times have uh, men and women, young adults, children passed the storefront where there are dogs or cats, and something seems to click with one of them? And they keep coming back over and over until eventually they'll go in and say, hey, how much is that doggie or that kitten in the window? And they want to take them home. And it's like they'll they'll actually recall of how it was one of the best moments in their life, how they bonded with that, that little doggie or that little uh, little kitten. Now, speaking of dogs, apparently there are some luxury New York City buildings that are barring dog owners from using the front door. They basically have to use the back door. It's almost like going from the White House to the outhouse. Can you explain that?
3: Okay, yes. This is um, a story about one specific building, uh, the Upper West Side, where previously their their rule was in in an attempt to not have a mess in their main corridor, that if you have a dog, you're bringing the dog in and you have to hold them, you know, basically from the elevator to the outside and you know so that was the rule now they've changed that to say that you have to use the service elevator if you want to take your dog out for a walk and so obviously now the people who live there are all in an uproar because they're saying well why did this rule come about and what you know again so they're they're resting it on the fact that they're trying to keep the lobby clean so now first of all there's a whole lot of issues with this concept in the first place because Everyone walking in, I mean, they have feet that just were walking on the outside ground. I mean, the lobby, you know, the, the feet of the dog is the same as the feet of the people. And then, you know, now you're creating an environment where you're not even pet friendly. So if you're going to have complaints about pets, well, you can start creating a lot of um, types of complaints in buildings. Like maybe people don't want to have strollers. Maybe they don't want to have, you know, kids. I mean, because kids are louder, I think, and probably messier than the dogs are going to be. And then I think the the worst part of this entire plan is that the people who are supposed to enforce it and narc them out are the doormen. Now, the doormen, I mean, they, their whole job is to be cordial and kind to the people in the building, and they're also relying on that for their tips. And now you're telling them to start calling out the people who live there. I don't, I don't really see that being a good idea.
2: This sort of reminds me years ago when you go to old apartment buildings where they had the tenant's entrance, and then they had an area they called the servant's entrance. Which was sometimes in the back, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So dogs will have to go out the back door.
3: Oh yeah, and, and there's and the people are even like more annoyed because they're saying there's certain days when this service elevator is specifically um, slated for trash removal. So now all of the people who have the dogs are going to be riding in this one elevator, and during certain days of the week, there's going to be it's going to be filled with trash. And I mean, how quickly it's going to cause anyone who has? I mean, again, but. This is part of the problem with having these rules that make no sense because anything that um, you know is isn't pet-friendly and causes people to in any way maybe have to abandon their pets or look for other buildings, we want to create a pet-friendly environment and living environment, and these rules are really arcane and need to be removed.
2: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It is exclusive to WABC, the Animal Welfare Hour. And now, uh, Nancy... This is a story that is mind-boggling. We know that every day there are drug smugglers, mostly from Latin America, who are dropping off kilos of cocaine offshore. They attach them to buoys. They have hermetically sealed them with cellophane so that the cocaine will not get wet. And they've been placed out there bobbing around until somebody comes out in a speedboat or it could be a trawler or some other kind of a uh, a boat to pick up the cachet and then bring it to the mainland to be distributed and sold. And there are scientists now who suspect that some of those dumped drugs that are never picked up for a variety of reasons are then consumed by sharks. And they're calling this phenomenon cocaine sharks. And apparently it's going to be featured on the Shark Week. It used to be uh, the favorite show, according to Stormy Daniels, the hooker who engaged uh, then-citizen Donald Trump in the bungalows in Beverly Hills. But it's going to be a featured episode of Shark Week. Cocaine sharks who not only sniff the cocaine, but will eat the whole freaking kilo of cocaine. What happens to them when they do that?
3: Okay, so this particular show, yeah, it's also, so. To your point, it's it's sort of um trying to track all of these sharks that through the decades have lived along the shoreline where there's these bales of um, cocaine that have washed on the shore. Now, obviously, it, it also contemplates like the ingestion of different chemicals and pharmaceuticals. But the really exciting thing is the cocaine bales. But what's what's funny is they're they're uh, sort of experiments. They seem highly unscientific, this, the types of things they did, because they were dropping like just regular bales of, you know, sort of like the something that looked the same to see how they reacted. And then they started using um, different types of items. So they have something called concentrated fish powder, which is almost like shark catnip. And they were saying, well, that's the, the closest you could possibly get to what it would be if they ingested the cocaine. And they were using that as this sort of protocol for you know, how these um how the behavior would be. So again, very unscientific, although it sounds like it it could have some pretty good visuals. So you called it shark catnip? What does it consist of? Well it's called concentrated fish powder. So I guess let's see if I think about that, it just means it's a lot of ground up fish bodies. So that would make them really want to have that. So they go crazy. So the same thing that, you know, cats do with catnip, they do and then they're saying that's the equivalent of the behavior. So what they were doing was basically like sprinkling this on sharks and saying this is what they would happen if they did ingest them. So, again, very unscientific, (laughs) but I think it will be entertaining.
2: I wonder what Tony Montano would have done if the sharks off the coast of uh, Florida would have ingested any of his kilos of cocaine. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
0: WABC. From the majestic twelve to Area Fifty One to Operation Paperclip to the pyramids to UFOs to Stonehenge hidden underground bases close encounters to cover-ups to abductions.
1: We're running a strange program, y'all. Hear it all on the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, putting the extra in extraterrestrial. Weeknights, all night long, seventy-seven WABC. Talk Radio 77, WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis
2: Sliwa. And lucky all of our listeners because Nancy has left the lair with all the cats. And she's in studio tonight with us here at WABC to take all your calls. In fact, let's do exactly that to Lisa in Nutley, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lisa.
4: Uh, I absolutely love you, too. But now what are we going to do about Phil Murphy and this offshore uh, windmill stuff that he's uh, killing the sea life and people's livelihoods?
2: Well, Lisa, uh, he has been obstinate. He's been a pig head when it's come to this. He refuses to listen to any of the folks who are saying, wait a second, let's take a little period of time off from blasting any further on the surface of the ocean and using sonar to detect a good place to put these huge windmills to generate green energy. And he refuses to delay, to allow it to be studied, to see if, in fact, this is what is causing the whales and the dolphins to lose their navigational ability and causing them to come ashore and die horrible deaths. He, he's just impervious to this. He just wants to forge on. He signed more contracts with Norwegian firms that, that basically have no, uh, no out clause. Uh, the taxpayers in New Jersey have to fund these windmills. Even if they kill whales, even if it's proven they're killing dolphins and a lot of birds in between.
4: Well, we're trying to fight them, but it's not working.
2: Well, no, no, no. It can be. It can be. You can't give up because these officials, they always... It's called, uh, Nancy, the DID syndrome. It doesn't matter if they're Democrats or Republicans. D stands for deny that you have a problem. Then I is ignore it, and then the final D is delay doing anything about it. They're betting on the fact that people will get uh, sort of involved in other things in their lives personally or professionally and not make this a priority, and they'll just continue to slip these contracts through.
3: Yeah, I mean, and you definitely have to keep the pressure up because this isn't like construction in New York City that takes forever. I mean, these companies, these international companies that are building, they're building quickly. So you have to you have to protest very, very quickly. I mean, you, this has to be halted, um, you know, because like I said, and then because it has such a long time when it starts to even decommission. So, again, there's this element of once they start building these things, they can't even just halt them necessarily because they're actually going to, you know, sort of be in progress. That where there's actually a time frame in which it has to wind down. So there's a lot that's not really being explained that once it starts, it's going to be virtually impossible to stop this.
2: And the taxpayers must demand transparency. For instance, there's millions and millions of dollars at stake in these contracts. Does an average person know where this money goes? The answer is no. You have a right to know. How many friends of Murphy are receiving ancillary contracts to provide other services? It's what you call the good old-fashioned kickback. So whether it's the Norwegian firms or the Swedish firms, these are foreign firms who are coming in. No competitive bids, by the way. It's not like they are competitive bids. They're getting these contracts, and you know they're being—they are whining, dining, and pocket lining these officials. There's no doubt about it. It's corruption central. This is the way they do business in Europe. You think all of a sudden they're going to ch- change their mode of doing business? In North America, either Canada or the United States, no, they're going to they're going to assume that officials can be bought, and if you put enough money on the table and you wine dine in pocket line, friends of Murphy, friends of Kathy, uh, Crime Wave Holcomb, then you're going to have uh, you're going to have a sweetheart contract, which is going to make it very difficult for the state of New Jersey or the state of New York to break the contract. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Joe, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe.
5: Yeah, Nancy, uh, this relates to the whales. I, I'm reading this book, The Neuroscience of You by Chantel. It's a new book. The third chapter, In Sync, is talking about humans, how uh, signals travel at 250 miles an hour through the white matter of the brain and only one to four miles per hour in the gray matter of the brain. And then she's talking about elephants and the rumble of the elephants uh, is something that cannot necessarily get picked up by humans, yet it can be heard four miles away. So I I think something to look into in relation to whales is how sound uh, is related to this, and how their brains function in relation to this sound system, you know, and how this might be affected by this this uh, drilling uh, or, or this process, you know, uh, the the actual brain uh, mechanisms of the whale, I think, are being uh, kind of uh, jimmied.
2: No, there's no no doubt, uh, Joe. These are very sensitive uh, divining uh, uh, rods that, in essence, have been birthed into the whales, birthed into the dolphins. They have a nautical system that has been preserved over the centuries. Now, you say to yourself, well, what new thing has come across uh, their environment that may have altered that? Pollution? Oh, there's less pollution in the ocean now. Uh, The standards have been improved. Uh, Is it the uh, freight traffic, the number of ships? No, it's been the same number of ships. They take the same lanes to go to and from as they uh, transport oil or they transport chemicals or they transport cargo. The only thing that has changed now is the blasting on the ocean floor, the use of sonar to find the appropriate places to put these huge monster-like uh, windmills that I'm sure are able to generate a lot of green energy. But what is the, the trade-off? Does it mean more dead whales, more dead uh, dolphins, more dead birds? I think the uh, the general public wants to know.
3: Yeah, and and right now, obviously, what they're doing with the drilling into the the core of because again, there's there's certain um, wind uh, turbines that they have that are out in the ocean that are floating somehow, but the ones that are really problematic is the ones that they're drilling directly into the ocean floor. So you know, again, now you have like the sound of that. And then once these things are going, so again, um, the way that, for instance, like the orcas that they're, they hunt for their food, they're sending out signals and basically relying on these things to bounce back, so they, you know, they're so they can see where things are. You have now these um, things that are creating these unnatural sounds, so of course it's going to throw them off. They don't, even, they're not even going to know what's food sources anymore. There's reasons why a lot of them are beaching themselves too. They're being thrown off course so badly they don't even realize that they're beating themselves to their death so i mean again this is tremendous and and to your point yeah the sound it's i mean that is affecting them and that's a clear correlation
2: let's go to rose calling from new jersey your turn to be heard here on the animal welfare hour at wabc rose
6: good evening you know what blows me away and this state is full of so many highways. This country is so full of so many highways, and the trucks and the cars are running 24/7, creating an awful lot of wind. Now, it would be very simple for us to set up small windmill-type operations inside of like a chain-link, uh, in, you know, enclosure and have the electricity where it's needed. Not out in the ocean. The ocean is full of fish. It's our beach. It's where we go to enjoy ourselves. It's just so backwards when we have all this free wind on the side of every major highway that runs from coast to coast in this country.
2: Well, I will tell you this, Rose. um, We are in an industry talk radio where we generate a lot of hot air. I think in combination, all the hot air I spew, WABC always broadcasting, Curtis, Dominic Carter will follow us from 11 to 1. And then the ultimate uh, hot air spewer is the Mama Luke, Frank Morano with his nationally syndicated show all across the nation from 1 to 5. If you were to collectively gather up all the hot air that is spewed by our hosts and hostesses, you know how many windmills we could power Right on the top of this building where we're housed. I mean, some of us uh, spew more hot air than others. I mean, i got to think of Sid Rosenberg in the morning. It's all about Sid, 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 Sid. That's a lot of hot air. Then when I join him, as I do every Monday through Fridays at 7.05, that's like turbocharged hot air.
3: Yeah, it just seems really counterintuitive. To, To get the air, you have to pollute the oceans. Like, I, I don't understand that either.
2: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Pat in Milford, Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Pat.
5: Hey, Curtis, I called you back a few months ago. I'm not sure if you remember it on the, the overnight break of dawn. But, uh, Nancy, we lost our little um, our dog, Lucy, like three or four years ago. And um, we were lost without a year. And then we found out a friend. We rescued a Shih Tzu Pekinese. And we we couldn't go without a dog, and just wondering, just she was a little like neglected and a little sound scares her, and is that magnified like even with thunder, like I have to hold her and just like sing to her, is is that tr- like true in Wales too or?
3: Oh, you know, actually, that's a that's a great question. I'm not sure about that. I know my, you know, it's funny. My brother he has um, uh two, uh, he had like two smaller dogs and. They both came from, like, abusive-type situations, and it just it stayed with them for the entirety of their lives where, you know, you always would have to be with them during anything like that. So, I mean, I, I think there's there's this element of trauma with, uh, you know, certain pets where it really doesn't ever leave them. And so, you know, being mindful of that, it's great that you are because, yeah, I mean, you being there is, is probably what makes the difference between them, you know, either being, you know, comfortable or not. So it's, it's good that you're a mindful pet owner.
5: Yeah, And it's a shame what the old owners did to her.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, You'd be yeah.
2: surprised, Pat, at how many animals have been abused out there who then get turned into the shelter. And so people will come by and maybe potentially think of adopting them, but they can see the animal is either too frightened or too aggressive because it doesn't trust human beings any longer. Those are the animals that need to be adopted the most. Uh, because they were the one, they are the ones that will definitely most often not be adopted. Rescue groups do a very good job with them in terms of repatriating them, assimilating them back uh, so that they trust humans again. But I'd say for the average person looking to adopt a dog or cat, more than likely they won't have the patience to be able to deal with it, or they'll be f- uh, frightened by the fact that the dog or the cat never comes out, they're afraid, or that they're super aggressive towards humans because they've been so abused.
3: Yeah, and right again, and sometimes it's hard to tell because when, you know, you have like a small window of time to sort of examine their personality. So if they are a little bit on the scared side, you know, they, they might just get overlooked because, you know, you they don't have enough time to really come out their shell, which is why, you know, it's better to have these environments where they're not in, you know, for instance, like saying like cat cafes, you know, they're not in cages, they're walking around more comfortably. So this way, this it's not just a temporary location and a holding place it's really their home as they're awaiting their forever home
2: our numbers 1-800-848-9222 let us go to william calling from manhattan your turn to be heard here at wabc william Yes, Curtis.
5: I wanted to say to you that the animals are psychic. They're able to foresee things. If you hit the lottery for a billion dollars or a trillion, all right, is the cat going to urinate on top of the lottery ticket or just say meow? I mean, hey, you know, they think ahead of time because when lightning strikes, it's silent. All you see is the flash, (laughs) and it it blinds you. And I want to say that you're the best, and give my regards to your wife. That's it. I'm out. I love y'all. Thank you. Thank you,
2: you, William. Thank you. I'm trying to fathom what he said there. The urination on the Powerball ticket, a lotto ticket by a cat. Uh, You know, there's some people listening now who put so much faith into getting on a financial harm's way by winning a Powerball or a lotto that they may actually try that and think that it brings them good luck. <laughs> <laughs> here, kitty, kitty. Here's your cat litter today. Right here, my lotto ticket, my Powerball ticket. Please, please.
1: 1-800-848-9222. wabc The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis
2: Sliwa. As we continue with our animal welfare hour, Nancy has joined us in studio today before the arrival of Dominic Carter, who will be in from 11. He has an extra hour now. It's 11 to 1 on Sundays going into Monday morning. Now, I saw that one of the um, uh, follow-ups uh, on the death of uh, Tony Bennett was that New York City carriage uh, horse drivers left a note on uh, Tony Bennett's Central Park bench. I didn't know that he had a bench. I know that one time uh, you had informed me on some kind of citizen's app Tony Bennett was seen in Central Park. This is when he was first suffering dementia and Alzheimer's. He was in a wheelchair being attended to by an aide. I remember you ran in. You wanted to go try to find him, but he had already left. What are they talking about, and what, if any, affiliation does Tony Bennett have with the horse carriage industry?
3: Okay, so this is in relation to uh, 1953 Song. Uh, please driver once around the park again. So, you know, obviously about uh, taking his sweetheart around the park in a carriage-drawn horse. So, you know, but obviously that's well, 60 years ago. So, you know, but they were, you know, sort of trying to, you know, and he has a, a bench in the park because obviously he um, he lived in around 57th Street. He used to go to Central Park a lot. But, you know, so the uh, horse carriage drivers, they were sort of honoring his love of the, the carriage horses because he you know, sang this song 60 years ago. I'm not really sure if you can connect it exactly, but they tried to.
2: Where are we uh, with the attempt to remove the horse-drawn carriages and replace them with electric uh, carriages that have actually replaced horse-drawn carriages in a lot of third-world countries now? I know it's hot out there. It's humid. Once again, what are the rules and regulations? When are the horses able to be brought out of the stable to uh, make their rounds in Central Park? And when under these conditions, which have been brutal of late, uh, basically do the horse-drawn carriage uh, operators have to leave the horse in the stable that day?
3: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's still um, stalling. It's still, you know, it, the the progress isn't moving forward as, as fast as, you know, it should. But um, this week, for example, you shouldn't see any horses outside because the regulations are that if it's uh, 90, so it's 90 degrees, and that would be uh, taking into consideration humidity, so what it feels like with humidity. So this entire week, it's going to be in the 80s and above 90 and so with the humidity, there should be no instance this week in which the horses are out. Um, you know, so if anyone were to see the horses out, um, right away you should be calling, I'm going to say you 311, know, uh, local council member. I mean, you know, someone who can get out there right away to, to stop them and get them to turn back because it's going to be too hot this entire week according to the regulations.
2: Well, you and I sometimes we've been going to your doctor appointments in the morning We get out uh, at about, like, 9 or 10. Mm. We start heading towards uh, our apartment, and we see a whole conga line of horses uh, pulling their carriages towards their location in Central Park. And I ask you right there, I say, wow, it is kind of really hot. The asphalt looks like it's just about ready to melt. It's humid out here. Are they supposed to be out here? And you tell me the rules and regulations are th- that on that particular day they should not have been brought out. It doesn't seem to be any supervision, any regulatory agency that checks up on them.
3: No, it, it, and, and that, again, there's the problem. I mean, th- there's a basic parameter set up. As, as much as they try to battle every step of this, um, you know, of, of stopping these horse carriages – they're, you know, try to also say, oh, well, we're, we're being very humane. We're, we're concerned. We care about them. We're mindful of the regulations. You're not mindful of these regulations. And if you see them out at all during this week, I mean, like I said, right away you should be calling 311. You should be calling your local council people. Like, have these numbers on speed dial. Um, you know, there's, and again, there's a couple of the places right away that, you know, will come out right away and just, you know, whatever, whatever can be done to stop this.
2: But we've designated August Animal Welfare Month. Uh, we have two candidates now for the very first time who have qualified on an independent line in addition to their main line where they're running for city council in uh, New York. Uh, our candidate, Kelly Klingman in Astoria, is a product of the uh, the new uh, Astoria Ronald Reagan Club that I just recently opened up. She'll be taking on Tiffany Caban who uh, is uh, not promoting any kind of animal rights uh, issues whatsoever. She's the mini-me of AOC, All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She was able to get enough signatures to also qualify to run on the animal welfare line. In addition, Robert Holden, the Democrat, who's running for re-election, he was able to get enough signatures to qualify for the very first time in the history of election uh, politics Uh, On an animal welfare line. So we're not only going to be addressing all during the month of uh, August, the horse carriage uh, driver issue, but so many other issues, including the fact that we are pushing to have no kill shelters, which... Uh, to be honest uh, with you, I get a lot of credit for that. I am not the first candidate running for mayor who ever came up with a no-kill shelter idea. That actually came from our owner-operator, great talk show host in his own right, lover of animals, along with Margot and pigeons, I might add, John Matitas. He had on his platform, your, your brother discovered it, one of the main planks of his platform when he was running in the Republican primary in 2013 against Joe Loder for mayor was to eliminate the kill shelters, to have no-kill shelters. So that is going to be one of the really strong moves that we make in August. If Los Angeles can have no-kill shelters, if Austin, Texas can have no-kill shelters, You tell me why we can't have no-kill shelters, especially we have all these empty storefronts that Nancy had referred to previously. They're not going to be occupied anytime soon. The only time there seems to be any movement to filling their empty space is with these illegal weed shops. But your idea, Nancy, of having dogs and cats uh, actually housed in these empty storefronts, people will be passing by, and they're going to want to adopt these dogs and cats. Yeah, I mean, if they can't adopt them right away, they'll want to adopt them a week from then or two weeks from then. It'll be a great place to be able to make sure that these dogs and cats end up with a home of their own.
3: Yeah, I mean, and again, it's just a reminder that it's really, it's incumbent upon the city to be saving these animals. Their, their job is not to be a no-kill shelter. They're supposed to be caring for these animals. They're dropping the ball in every way you can possibly imagine, including spaying and neutering and making sure that the... The feral populations are down, but, I mean, again, this is where you need to hold their feet to the fire. They can't just be warehousing these animals the way that they do in places where no one gets to see them and then just giving this free pass to euthanize them at will, which is exactly what they're doing. Let's
2: go to uh, Ilona calling from Westchester. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Ilona. Curtis,
4: I am very, very upset, very. Um, On YouTube, I just... You know like in the last month I think these pop-up videos and they're from foreign countries then of course then there's the deer hunters the turkey hunters but across the globe you, you can't believe what you see they're tying up cows they're almost showing like they're about to kill them they're abusing camels they're abusing lambs they have set up dog fights to make money um, they even have some sexual ones with like female showing stuff. I, I have gotten YouTube, um, I've gotten some down, but um, I'm 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 literally sick to my stomach because it's on a daily basis and these foreign people are found a way to make money, and they'll have like like these big bulls fighting, then they hook them up to this thing and they ride them like a contest. Like, and then they take the cows and they tie up their legs and throw them to the ground. Uh, I'm so upset. I have no idea. And I keep getting on there and telling them that this is, you know, God is, you know, going to punish you. And then you two might come on and say to me or somebody else, you can't say those things. I said, oh, but you can pay to have these animals abused in, in front of all of us or killed. And it's just animal abuse. And then they have the places where they're skidding the dead animals, and they're torturing the animals. I, I please look on sh- on the shorts of YouTube. Uh, I, I I don't. I just keep going every night, every night, every day, you know, trying to get them removed, and then making comments, you know. Well,
2: I tell, tell you what, I tell you what, Ilona, uh, you certainly have piqued the interest of Nancy. Um, leave your information with Ken. Ken, make yourself useful here. Actually get the information of Ilona. And uh, Nancy, will you follow up on uh, her leads in terms of uh, what garish videos, really snuff films. You know, we were talking about how uh, the serial killings uh, in uh, Gilgo Beach, I believe based on the research you've done and I've done, Uh, has to do oftentimes with snuff films that were made with these female prostitutes. Uh, Not that the female prostitutes were cooperating, but they were being forced into doing these snuff films, which are killing the young ladies so the guys can get sexual gratification from that. And I'm sure in a lot of these YouTube uh, films that Alona in Westchester is talking about, it's a form of snuff film of the animal that, maybe actually give sexual gratification as some of these uh some of these weirdos who watch these things over and over and over
3: yeah i mean again i it, it, the mentality of people who are okay with abusing animals i don't i don't understand whatsoever but clearly it exists out there uh, i think there's there's some element of having to necessarily just study what the heck is wrong with people that makes them do this because i'm not sure how else you're really going to weed this out of society Um, It's just complete sickos. And, you know, the fact that these videos are made with the purpose of sort of uh, creating an audience, the horrible behavior happening to animals, if there was just cameras in any place, in any of the slaughterhouses, in any of the places where animals are just being used for food or for testing, if you just had a regular camera, you'd be mortified by what you're seeing. So this is a whole other element, making money in a different way. But I just think the treatment of animals It it just stems from that. We treat them like absolutely nothing. They they were given no value to them, and I think that has resulted in this trend in society.
2: Well, you know, very popular for a while, there was a series uh, of these uh, videos with the faces of death.
3: Yes. I remember. Oh, God, I remember those. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. You remember, Matt Blaze. What did you get a vicarious thrill out of watching Faces of Death, you freak? What about you, runway model Ken? Yeah, yeah, you watched him too, didn't you, right? Especially, probably the most horrible part of it is sitting at a table. They have a monkey in the middle of the table. They've extricated his head, and they're eating right out of his head, his brains, and hitting him in the head with a hammer. And guys would say to me, oh, you got to see faces of death. I said, well, what do I got to see faces of Wait till you see what they do to the monkey in the middle of the table. And then they end up eating his brains while he's still alive. What a bunch of sick Oh, Matt, you you sick freak. Man, look at him. Look at Matt there. Matt, what's wrong with you, huh? I'm going to have to have a little talk with Frank about you, man. Faces, no doubt Frank has probably seen uh, faces of death over and over and over and over. Anyway, let's go to Standing Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here. WABC, stand the man. How are you? Good evening, counselor. There is a statute that you can't feed pigeons.
6: Now, I got problems here in Forest Hills. These idiots feed the pigeons, bring food for them. And they're supposed to, the people from the Parks Department or somebody's supposed to give them tickets. They're never around. Uh, are you for that? Are you for the statue? Because it was up to me. I'd poison the damn pigeons. I can't stand them. They have filth and they do, do disease. I'd like to know your opinion
2: on that. Now, Stan. I'm you- talking to your wife. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Okay. Go, Go ahead, Counselor.
3: Well, yeah, I, I do know, actually, I'm, I'm not sure exactly if that statute actually, I know in New York City when they were trying to pass that, I think they initially said they didn't want the people doing it in the park. I'm not for that at all. Um, I do think that the population, of the pigeons, I, I personally am the feeling of that any of the creatures living outdoors, Cri- it will be incumbent upon us to make sure that the population's down. I'm more concerned with all the people walking their dogs around. And all the dog pee and poop that's on the street. That, to me, is way more disgusting than the pigeon poop.
6: I hear you. I hear you. But uh, they feed these things, and they don't stop. And you can get disease from them, like, as you said, with the dog, too. But uh, I don't see any people giving tickets. There are people who are supposed to give them out. Do you? There's a whole
3: lot of things that they don't give tickets for that they should be. I'm with you on that one. Now,
2: let me give you an example, Stan. Our owner-operator, John uh feeds the pigeons outside of the building that we operate out of. And one time, the guy in charge of uh, security came up to John, who was feeding the pigeons, and he said, you, you know, Mr. Katsimatidis, you have to stop. And Katsimatidis turned to him, and he goes... You want me to stop? How about if I buy the building? Will you stop me then when you're employed by me? Uh, What do you think his answer was, Stan? uh, I'm buying the building. (laughs) No, that's how much he believes in feeding pigeons. Believe it or not, he was prepared to buy the building just so that he wouldn't be harassed feeding the pigeons that he does each and every day. Well, if he gets
6: sick from them, he'll, then he'll have a second thought maybe.
2: You now, know? now, what other animals uh, do you want eliminated from this plane, Stan?
6: Well, I love dogs, and, you know, I'm not a cat uh, enthusiast, and uh, I love dogs very much. I had a dog. But uh, the pigeons annoy me to no end. I mean, there's disease and so forth. And as, like uh, your wife said, the dog cook garbage and so forth. I wish they would, but these they are people who give tickets, but they're never around. So maybe
2: they should be fired. Maybe you, uh, you and your wife should go out and give the tickets. What? but we're the ones we'd have to give tickets to ourselves. <laughs> we feed the pigeons like three times a day, Stan. Well, uh, anything's possible with the great
6: Curtis and his, and his counselor wife.
2: You know what we should do, Nancy? This will really blow Stan's mind. There is a picture of me during the campaign. When we were outside of the stables where they house the horses that are involved in the horse carriage industry, and all the pigeons came over to me, and people were stunned because they were so used to seeing my Red Beret on the Upper West Side. that They're like homing pigeons, knowing we follow the guy with the Red Beret, and he's going to feed us. And I was feeding him right out of my pocket. There were like hundreds of pigeons there. Oh, no, hundreds, hundreds. We've got to get that photo up. We've got to circulate that photo because it will drive Stan out of his mind. We should almost force him to have to put that up in his home, in his living room, and stare at that <laughs> because he is a, uh, a regular listener to WABC. I, I hear Stan contributing to many of the other shows. He's always, I think the best way to describe him is he is a contrarian. He is a curmudgeon. curmudgeon. He's not always going to take the party line.